Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits Mitrap Podcast. How you doing this week, Mike? Hey, I'll be doing better this weekend when I get some golf in with you. And a barbecue too, right? Yeah, a little, little birthday barbecue celebrating my 30th, well, my 31st, but 30th redone since my 30th birthday was, you know, mid-lockdown and I was just sequestered up, sequestered up in Ithaca with my kids and my my wife. So yeah, no, it's, it should be fun. Get some, hit the sticks. You get a two for one, two birthdays yeah. in one. We'll make birth- up for last year. Two birthdays in one. Yeah, should be good. So we'll have to drink twice as much. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and hit uh, you know twice as many golf balls, which I'll probably do anyway. That's I'll for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm bringing my dad out, and he's all worried. He's like. I'm like, Dad, you need to go buy some balls because you're probably going to lose some. <laughs> I always carry plenty of extras, which I happen to run through faster than I want to, but I should have them covered. Yes. Nice. Well, looking forward to that. That's going to be great. And um, we got a lot going on on the Mitra podcast. I don't know about you, but I loved last week doing a live show with our patrons. Definitely want to get that going hopefully we can do that maybe once a month or so um, i loved it yeah we we actually we didn't realize or you didn't tell me that our live broadcast had ended like 10 minutes ago <laughs> i was just going i thought oh man this is great and then you get to the end you're like yeah our, our broadcast cut out at like minute 46 or whatever but no it was yeah, good the last like 10 minutes we figured it out and we, we know better next time, but I think our patrons got a kick out of it. So it was nice to see people get some comment, get some feedback. Um, yeah. We'll have to appease Steph K by talking a lot about, uh, about Scott in the Scott. next book. So yep. got to talk Scott. I, I still, I want a Scott book again. I want term limits part two. I want, I want, do we have any left where Scott's going to be like the main protagonist? I'm trying to think through him. He was pretty heavy might. in, um, He's a big player in uh, Total Power. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Kyle even told us he's playing a big role alongside Rap in Enemy at the Gates. So something to look forward to there. I think it's what the fans want. So we'll see. Yes. Yes, indeed. Dude, though, thinking about all the way ahead to September, we've got a pretty stacked book release schedule the next couple of months. I feel like we're going to be we're going to be covered uh, through the summer. With what's yeah, coming out, very busy. Ho- hopefully, we can cover some of these books too. Yeah, I mean, we we talked a little bit a few weeks ago with Jack Carr, and since then, The Devil's Hand came out. So, man, that came out April thirteenth. So, I'm really hoping a bunch of you got your copy. You know, hope the pre orders came on time, no delays. You should definitely be through that by now. It's rock solid. And then uh, one I'm looking forward to. I haven't started it yet, even though it's been a few months out. Matthew Bedley's new book, Amira, with a featuring a female protagonist. From what I hear, it's kick ass. So I got to catch up on that, man. Yeah, we got to get him on the pod. Yes, I loved Overwatch. Logan West, just good stuff. Yeah, he's doing something different too. I definitely want to talk to him about that. Cool. And uh, so your favorite, uh, my favorite, which I'm really excited. Second favorite. Second. Sec- all right. Second favorite. Second favorite. My my, my real favorite is Vince Lynn and Mitch Rapp, but. I, I do love me some Scott Harvath and Brad Thor. So we got Black Ice coming June 22nd. We should, maybe we can get a Brad on this pod. That'd be something. We've That'd already got, we already got Kyle. We've already got Jack, you know, let's do it. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's, uh, let's, let's reach out to David. Work that. Yeah. You know, he can, he can hook a brother up. So, yeah. Hey, dude, speaking of people on the podcast. Exactly. What? What month was that we had Sean on? Because he was probably one of our most just enjoyable guests to talk to. Was uh, that like he, last May or no? It wasn't I that think, early. Well, May, I don't maybe like when Blacktop uh, Wasteland came out. I think it was the summer, it, it, August or or September, maybe. Yeah, it. I mean, the book is just like I could feel the hot pavement true like yeah standing outside on the racing strip on these you know dead hot streets in the south i feel like that book had to come out in august that was my fa- i think my favorite book of last year like it was, i really think so it was too. a really good book and I, i'm super excited for his next one uh razor blade tears uh coming out july 6th 
and you know we need to reach out see if we can get that arc maybe bring him back on the pod because yeah. he he was such a good interview such a good interview oh for some reason talking to him about books i felt differently like i could physically feel the texture and reading his book I felt like you could physically feel the texture of the setting and the environment. And even talking about it, the scenes were so vivid. Not to mention, you know, the emotions of the characters also right. just equally vivid. Right. And just it, it all came through talking to him. Like it's a very memorable conversation. And so I'm ready for this one. I mean, did you hear? Stu. So if you don't follow him on Twitter or social media – at Stu J. Ash. Stu is one of the biggest readers I know, friend of the podcast. Happy to have him from the very beginning chatting us up online. Stu said this might be his favorite book of all time. Wow. Razor Blade Tears. That's big. Yeah. And he reads hundreds of books a year. I'm not even kidding. That's big. Like that was that was a big post when he dropped that. And he dropped that on the best uh, thriller books platform so if you guys don't follow them also yeah, shout out to best of the books best thriller books yeah they rock yes and then and of course a big one yes september of course. of course september 14th enemy at the gates i bet there's a bunch more we're missing but probably it's a, it's a nice couple of books just, we've just to highlight through. a few to highlight a few yeah. not not a complete list but you right. know definitely what i'm gonna be ta- most of these will be taken on my uh, summer vacation trip well, today, actually, we have an author you also have to pick up. He's our guest on the podcast. So why don't you tell us, Chris, a little bit about what we're going to be talking about this episode with Craig Martell? Yeah, well, before I get to that, you forgot something, Mike. Our April book giveaway. Oh, dude, you always keep me on my toes. Oh, I'm not, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to, you know, checks and balances. Yeah, yeah. It's like a scientist. You got to, you know, go through the process. You got to you got to make sure all the steps are complete or, you know, the results are invalid. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, for all our patrons who subscribe, you know, every month we do a giveaway. So this month we're giving away Pursuit of Honor, a signed copy. So, Mike, you want to hit that wheel? Yeah, I got it ready. And it's great because this is our book of the month. So whoever's our winner... You have a few days here to uh, get that book, devour it, and we will cover Pursuit of Honor in May. starting in May. Yep, yep, yep. All right, let me spin that wheel. Hey, George. We got George M., nice. friend of the pod, patron. He's been with us for since the beginning. So, George, congratulations. We're happy to get you the copy of Pursuit of Honor in the mail. And for you, we're happy to also give you an audible credit for an audiobook of Pursuit of Honor. All right. Thanks for being a patron. Yes. And I guess we'll do the plug here. So if you want opportunities to be entered in our monthly giveaway, go to our website, mitrepbod.com. Click that little orange button and support us on Patreon. So now we can get into today's episode. All right. Um, Sounds good. So today... We had a pretty interesting interview with this with uh, this author, Craig Martell, author and editor. We were interested in bringing him onto the pod because he recently edited this anthology of thrillers that you had read in them, and then you gave it to me, and I devoured a couple of them. They're very they're very good, uh, including he he had one of his own in there, which is a very interesting short story. And I, I don't know, we I don't often read a lot of thriller short stories. This this was an interesting exercise for me. But yeah, like not only is Craig an editor, he's an avid writer. Um, he goes for quantity, quantity, quantity. You know, yeah, spanning all genres from romance to sci-fi to you know, he's going to tell you in this interview. So we hope you like it. Here's our interview with Craig Martell. Today we welcome a special guest, Craig Martell. An author, an editor, and the brains behind the recent release, Make Them Pay, a thriller anthology. So thanks for joining us today on the podcast, Greg. Hey, thank you for having me, Mike and Chris. I appreciate it. Can you maybe just start off telling us a little bit about Make Them Pay and what this project was all about? Uh, sure, sure. I, I run a book 
a group called 20 Books to 50K. We have nearly 50,000 authors. And on, on occasion, Make Them Pay is the third anthology we'll have done this year for 20 Books authors. It's the thriller. We did sweet romance. We did steamy romance. And then we did a thriller. We've got paranormal romance and urban fantasy in the summer that we're doing uh, uh, anthologies for. Each anthology has a different genre target, but then it's narrowed within that genre. Like the uh, a thriller anthology, Make Them Pay. We wanted justice. We uh, had to decline some psychological thrillers, some domestic thrillers, because those were really creepy and that creeped me out and, and I, I didn't <laughs> like them. So, <clears throat> so we, uh, outstanding. And we had some uh, best-selling, a, a USA Today best-selling author who submitted a psycho thriller. And I'm like, I, I can't read this. It made my beta readers sick. It was so uh, detailed in, in areas that we didn't want it to be detailed in, shall we say. So oh, uh, <clears throat> we, uh, I, I did a quick run through a number of cover designers. There's a group called the uh, Cover Design Gallery, where they have a couple hundred cover designers and people can go over there, uh, authors can go over there and solicit. And I, I ran a quick, uh, quick thing through. And within a day, I had a custom cover, make them pay, as you saw. And as uh, Mike noted earlier, he, he looked at it a second time and noticed a teddy bear on there. Oh, thanks for buying a paperback. But noticed a teddy bear on there. And it's, so it's like, oh, hey, payback for the disenfranchised, not necessarily police or procedural. So it was a, uh, had the cover before most people wrote their stories, which yeah. was important. And, and the way we do it in order to, so people don't waste their time. I'm a big fan of minimum viable product. If you've uh, worked in IT, you understand that as you're building a program, you build a program so it works good enough. Well, when okay. you're writing, a short story. So what we have is we have people submit the first 500 words mm. and that first 500, if uh, me and another curator, if we read them and we're not gripped by that point, don't waste your time. The book, mm. the uh, short story is not accepted. So people don't have to write the whole thing, just 500 words. They need to be good. Okay. So it really okay. forces people to be good right at the start. So we had uh, 60 or 70 people submit. We accepted 20, eight and ended with i think 22 people published in the book oh cool yeah so one of the things uh from our pod is we're big on covers and every time every time we um break down one of uh vince flynn's books at the end of our second episode um we talk about we debate all the covers that have been out there and we qu we quibble and quabble about like there's always like two random covers that just don't have anything to do with the book. But I, what I can say about your book and about this anthology is that this cover is perfect for this anthology. Uh, it's one of all, it's beautiful. And obviously we'll make the plug here. Everyone, should, all of our listeners should go out and buy this. But I would just have to say the cover, you nailed it. Like it just, this cover makes me want to pick this up and buy it. You know? Yeah. I don't know. That's the target. That's the goal, man. Yes. The uh, cover and then a good blur, but the uh, the stories within, and that's the great thing about uh, doing the first 500 words. We did that on the premise, and then we had the cover, and we gave uh, we showed everybody the cover for when they wrote the rest of their story, just oh, to nice. make sure that uh, they all kept aligned. So out of the 22 stories, you'll see that they all align in some way that they can fit in with that cover. That's a good yeah. idea. And so another part of what makes me want to pick up a book is the blurb, like you said. And in the foreword that you write uh, to this anthology, I was hooked from the start. So I just want to read this because for our listeners, this captures so perfectly the enjoyment you're going to have with these stories. Where When you write, Craig, quote, when those who think they are beyond the law come up against those who operate outside the law, get ready for fireworks. This volume was about bringing justice for those who couldn't bring it themselves. We want the champion to exist, and we want them to deliver harsh justice to those who deserve it. Sounds like a good blurb for this anthology or any other Mitch Rap book, I would say. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> yep, yep. I and and as I was uh, reminding myself, I read the uh, Mitch Rap books a long, long time ago, uh, books one through seven, I believe. And, and that was when I was back in the Marine Corps and traveling a fair deal. I, I would pick up the book in an airport and travel and read the whole book. And then when I get back, I put it away and, and then get another one for the next trip. 
And I, I remember the stories very Tom Clancy-like in their multiple tendrils and in how they describe as they lead into a scene, they always lead into with a, you know, there's mist that's drifting over the, the harbor. And so it sets it up that way. And then the characters get in and do their thing, but he doesn't overdo those descriptions. So I, I have to say, I love Vince Flynn and the way he described those things. Uh, too bad. Uh, it really is horrible that he passed away so young, but uh, it's still his legacy. And this is a great thing about authors. Every author out there, your legacy will live on. Yes. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned that you read the first seven, um, being aware of the Mitch Rapp pod. Uh, can you tell us which one of the first seven were your favorite, if you can remember? I'm looking at I'm looking at him here, and I, I liked book three. I liked the setup of book three, and also Mitch Rapp had had matured somewhat within his yes. role mm-hmm. because the first book it kind of and that's everybody's first book in a series, even uh, 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 Lee Child's first one with uh, Jack Reacher. It went on and on, and some of those uh, 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 descriptions just went on for pages. It's like there's nothing going on here. That's the kind of floor, right? Oh yeah. my god. And so the book was, I think, much longer than it needed to be. Whereas Vince Flynn's, they were thick, but they still moved so damn fast. Yes. And that's what I liked about them. I liked the character uh, profile. I liked the little details because I remember in one of the books, uh, Vince Flynn, uh, Mitch Rapp is, is trying to get away. He's got his little cabin cruiser that is nowhere near as fast as the boats that are chasing him. And he's riding the crest, trying to get an extra knot of speed. And those kinds of little details where you're educating as well as entertaining. I thought that was great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's one of the, the great things about Vince. We, we appreciate his, like the little details that he gets while not like, cause like, I, I, like you said, Tom Clancy, this, I feel like I love Tom Clancy, but I think if people, especially my, like younger people go to try to read Tom Clancy, they think it, they just get bogged down a lot with the, his specs. He's so into the specs and, so it's sort of like a blend of, of both worlds, but yeah. yeah. I, 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 spent a, I spent a career, I retired from the Marine Corps in 2002. I yeah, spent a career in, service? in Marine Corps intelligence. And when Ooh. I first read Hunt for Red October, I was working in uh, the north of Japan at a listening facility. We had SOSIS, we had Harass, uh, we had all of the things that he talked about, and we tracked Soviet naval uh, forces, uh, surface and subsurface. So everything he talked about in the hunt for Red October was, it was there. Besides, besides yeah. this crazy uh, submarine that had this stupid drive, uh, but the uh, the caterpillar drive. But outside of that, I was living it. I'm like, oh my god. Oh, wow. So, so the specs. I think that book was it was perfect for a dweeb like me who's sitting on uh, on the night shift. And we devoured it. We, somebody bought, uh, we had a few copies and they passed them around. Everybody read it because it was so damn good. And also made us feel small and insignificant because we had top secret clearances to know this stuff. And he described it better than we had. <laughs> and he put it in a book. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're just one of many people I've spoken to who say these thriller authors, they do their research, they get it right. And even though you're reading a fun book that you know has a nice pace and thrilling stories and plot lines, you can learn a lot about the life of operations and the people on the ground and out in the field and what it's like. And so I love how storytelling and with your anthology, you get 20 different chances to, to get involved in a story. You're really learning something about the world. I mean, there's one in your book that stands out to me. It might have been one of your your British writers. I feel like it had a very dark, ominous, rainy, cloudy kind of setting to it. And the woman basically has to be the detective. And she is the hero because the police aren't doing their job. And I bet that's something that real people come up against. So in what ways did you want make them pay to reflect realities that, that people are going through? Even though, obviously, it's about a bunch of heroes, larger than life characters but at the same time there's something very real about the stories in the book analyzing and this is i put my business hat on for a moment and and one of the hot genres right now is vigilante justice Mm. so taking that off and saying hey what do we want to write let's write uh, justice thrillers so uh delivering on that vigilante justice in, in a way that you're cheering for the hero even though they might be working outside the law 
And this is the important part of make them pay. We're going to make the bad guys pay, even if it's, uh, you know, the, does the end justify the means? In this book, we're saying, yeah, it kind of does. Because the people deserve it and they're not getting it. Right. Yeah. So can we transition to you have also a story in here and the character in there is Ian Bragg. Uh, can you just e extrapolate a little bit more about that character, how you came up with him? You know, is, does you, you mentioned you're in military, uh, you were in Marine Corps intelligence. Have you used some of your, obviously you probably have, how, how does that influence your writing in any way too? I, the uh, military characters, military situations, those are, those are all firsthand. I, I understand how that works. I know how they interact with people. I know how they uh, talk about civilians. Uh, you know, we're, we were told uh, when I retired, they said, oh, you don't call them civilians. They take offense. You have to call them private sector. So it's like, okay, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work on that. But the, those kinds of things, those kinds of conversations and, and how you have to move fast, especially with Ian Bragg and in the, uh, uh, the Ian Bragg series, which I just released, I released the third book on the same day that Make Them Pay came out. Uh, oh, nice. The third book in the Ian Bragg series. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It, uh, that series is doing really well. And it's, uh, I wanted a character that was a little bit non-standard. He, he was a Marine, of course, so he's got some, uh, some, some uber skills, like he shoots really well. But also the moving fast, because in the first book, he meets up with a woman and I've gotten some reviews and people are like, why, why would he's a, he's an assassin. He should be focused singularly on this. And it's like, they, they don't understand how Marines work because you, you fight hard, you play hard. Mm -hmm. And when these guys, it's like, okay, I got four hours off. Hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to go date and get married and have kids and then I'll be back. And, and you think it's, you've got four hours. You're going to do all that. Well, they're going to try. <laughs> and, and this is the, uh, and this is something to keep in mind. It's uh, the world of a Marine moves very fast. You have to you have to make the most of what time you have, and you can't always be working. So work hard, play hard, and people will Marines will play harder than they work in order to relax to go back on the job. It's crazy seeing what some of the Marines will do. X Games, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just it's insane. Hey, let's go surfing uh, with the sharks in the uh, oh, in the rocky shoals, and and you watch them, and then they get off. They're all beat up and go back to work. So. I put these in and also I wanted a non-standard character. So we have a Marine who is now a hitman who doesn't really drink. And then he finds a curvy girlfriend, not fat mind you just, just curvy uh, not your, uh, your normal thin supermodel. So a little bit different. Okay. okay. And, and she's a school teacher and just, it's uh, not, not, not what you would normally find. So I went that route because she would be more, malleable let's say to because she's a school teacher bored with her life and here comes this guy who's who who, uh, who sweeps her off her feet but oh by the way he's a hitman and as you go through the series because uh, she they get married at the end of book one okay spoiler oh, alert <laughs> and it's a uh, and you're thinking geez he just met they, they've been going out for a month once again marines this is real life uh, i have uh uh, in my bad company series, one guy comes back off Liberty and he's married and she was a stripper and the guys are making fun of him. And then the, the, the Colonel, he's having a hard time. He's like, he married a stripper. Well, come on, don't leave. It's his wife. Uh, yeah. Well, that's welcome to the Marine Corps. Welcome to the real military world. And uh, yeah, it, it could work. It might not work, but it's, it's uh, it's, it's more reality. It's funny. Yeah, so you're, bring up, you're, I was just going to say the women because uh, Vince Flynn, one thing he sometimes is criticized for is his female characters outside of Irene Kennedy, who's the CIA Kennedy is Virginia, awesome. Who's yeah. brilliant, right? Like top yeah. of her game. Yeah. Some people's favorite character in the series, right? Rightfully so. Yeah. But a couple of Mitch's female companions uh, didn't land. His first girlfriend, Anna, was, you know, a TV personality news, you know, hotshot newscaster. He did operations with a former what was it? Chris Donatello, Masa, supermodel, was, uh, but who was a turned Mossad agent, yeah. also a, a, has a druggy past. So it's really interesting that you focused on that with Ian Bragg and how you molded him it was very important about the other people in his life that he meets. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's uh, 
being being in uh, in intelligence, we analyze physical capabilities. Like uh, I, I was involved in the Iraq War. I mean, who wasn't who served in the nineties? And uh, one thing that people analyzed where you would have uh, folks come out and say, well, he's got this many tanks, he's got this, he's got WMDs. And, so he, and, he, and he said he was going to use them, but then you dug deep and you saw, but he can't really do anything. Mm-hmm. He can fire some scuds, but they're not really chemical. Like, they don't have the ability to put chems on, on, on scuds and definitely not nukes. They don't have nuke weapons. All they can do is make a dirty bomb. And, and so you start breaking down capabilities versus intent and okay, you di- you discount the intent because uh, Saddam said he was going to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, right? He didn't have the capability to. So you have to analyze capabilities. Mm-hmm. Intent, okay, he may do some wild things, but and that's one thing that I try to bring to uh, uh, to my thrillers is is a more realistic approach of yeah, they want to do this, but they just physically can't. So can I ask, how did you get into writing? after your career and then how did you get into compiling these anthologies because you mentioned you this is now your third of the year and you have two more to go how how does one get into that i I got into writing because i lit myself on fire i retired from the marine corps then i went to law school then i became a business consultant and uh, i was gone all the time as a business consultant because we went on site with our client and it was really lucrative however i was gone all the time i didn't retire to be deployed again so finally, I retired from that. I was 52 years old. And I said, uh, let me let me clean up my yard. I can do that. And I, I lit myself on fire trying to burn a brush file. So uh, I came inside and I had third, second degree burns on my legs, not third, second. Uh, and so my legs all dicked up. It hurts. And I'm, uh, I'm sitting here. It's like, ah, I think it's about time to write that book I always wanted to write. So I, I, I can't hurt myself any worse. So, so I started writing a book and I wrote a, a post-apocalyptic book, a survival kind of uh, novel. 100,000 words in 61 days, and I have never taken that long to write a book since because I, I liked it. I liked it. You cranked and, and I said, this is what I do. I, I, I write. But then after after a year, I got involved with 20 books of 50K, a group, well, after, after a month of uh, publishing my first book, I got involved with 20 books of 50K, and it was going okay, but then when I took over uh, the the leadership of that group for for Michael Anderley, we uh, we started to grow. We started to keep focus, and uh, and it gave me an opportunity to uh, provide guidance, guide, drive the ship as it may be, and help these other authors. And so over the years, that, that's been uh, what five years now. <clears throat> We've been able to help a lot of authors go from uh, hobbies to careers, to leaving their day jobs, to retiring spouses, just because, hey, here's the available information. This is to help you. Uh, we say what we're doing, things we're trying, other people share. And like I said, we're up to 50,000, almost 50,000 people in a group now. So that's, uh, <clears throat> that's what led to the anthologies because we're looking for other ways to help our authors besides, hey, here's gotcha. just some information. Mm-hmm. And the anthologies, these are things that I'll publish because I eat the cost of the cover. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll help with the editing. I put together a team of volunteers to do the first 500 word uh, cut and then do the final uh, stories. And one thing I did with the final stories in the thriller, I didn't read them when they, after they were submitted. I had my, my beta team, uh, readers, these aren't authors because readers will read a book differently than an author will. Mm, sure. um, we're all jaded because we write. So uh, <laughs> I wanted, I wanted people who were unjaded and they gave it. If I got the three thumbs up out of four, we were, it was in. And so that was why we cut from what, 28 down to 22. Cool. Wow. So oh, you they're, were, they're you very were good on fire, literally and figuratively, with and figuratively. for this project. I wasn't expecting yeah, when you the literal part, <laughs> but literally okay. on fire. Yeah. That's, you know, when people say, how'd you get into writing? That's, that is the real answer. I lit myself on fire and said, I can't be trusted. So I, uh, I, I better just do stuff I can do. That's not going to put me at risk. It's nice to see that you, yeah, I mean, obviously you were a successful business consultant, obviously a successful Marine, but you brought both of those, both of those uh, capabilities to helping these other authors, which is really nice. Cause I feel like, there's a lot of people out there who, you know, they're like, they, they at least want to try it. You know, not everyone 
could or you know maybe should be an author but i think everyone should if they feel like that they should try it and then get some help and then you know maybe get better so that's nice that you have that sort of community so there's no bar anymore there's no uh because writer uh, bar or something like that well the bar bar getting published you don't oh, have to go it, through it. a one of the big five soon to be the big four publishers to get oh, yeah. published and self-published authors are grabbing more and more market share every year okay. uh, books i'd like to think and you see from make them pay tell me that book is uh, indistinguishable from what you might find at barnes and noble oh yeah I, yeah i wouldn't i didn't even realize it was self-published you found yeah. the niche and that's what piqued my interest i i guess i stumbled upon a post from uh 20 writers to 50k um or I'm sorry, whatever. <laughs> 20 books to 50K. 20 books to 50K. <laughs> and I, I, w- I saw the idea of a thriller anthology and thought, wow, that's different. Um, I've seen some short stories floating around, usually posted on someone's blog or maybe a Kindle Unlimited or something. But to have a compilation of 20 plus of them right there, you know, bound together and you can actually purchase it and have it on your shelf just like a book. It was kind of exciting. So you really found a niche there and it's a niche that helps launch beginning authors. So. Well, and we have, uh, we have probably 10 well-established authors in the, in the anthology and the rest are newer. Uh, there's one that has just one or two. There's a couple that have one or two stories uh, uh, in the thriller genre. And it's okay. Cause it's, it's that balance of uh, giving back for those folks who have realized some success, whether no matter what the genre I have, geez, what do I have? Like, 80, 90 books in, uh, in science fiction that I've written. And those are doing well. But as, can a science fiction author transfer over to thrillers? Mm. And a couple different people, once I published the third book of the uh, Ian Bragg series, a couple different people contacted me separately and they said, you write thrillers better than you write science fiction. And, and, he's, and, and that's not a, a, a slap on your science fiction. I like those too, but you just write thrillers better. It seems more natural. I was like, yeah, I've, I've kind of lived in that world a, a, a fair bit. Right. And I understand the inner workings of people. And I, I, I had missed this point earlier about uh, Saddam and that you analyze people uh, as, a, as an intel and a, a, a human intelligence kind of guy, knowing and, and seeing how people interact, watching people interact. That's what I try to capture with my stories. And I think I, I, think I, uh, I, I have some success with that. That works real well in thrillers. I could see why your one reader had that feedback. Because I'm thinking of Mitch Rapp, he's his skills in terms of hand-to-hand combat, in terms of kicking the crap out of people, right? Killing people silently and lethally, he's the best. But a lot of people don't realize his main skill might be awareness and taking in the environment, particularly other people, and, and having a read on them. I mean, his interrogation scenes are not just about – our last book had him carving up some uh, – human uh, organs just to say as an interrogation <laughs> method but mixed into that all that brutality was he was playing mind games to basically know how his threats would be received okay is this person senior or is this junior is this person radicalized or fundamentalized yeah. to the point where they won't crack and i need him to crack quick so maybe i'll go to one of the junior guys so yeah. being able to read people know people and have a psychological um you know map of of the people around you that's a really important skill for any sort of thriller genre, however you take the story. I think the thriller writers, because uh, Jack Reacher does this really well, is uh, he, he always knows what's going on in an area. Whenever he gets there, whenever he, he looks around, sees what's going on. And I, I think that's critical for the thriller guys without being overboard. Because then you've got the other thriller authors that count on technical means where they know everything that's going on. And right. that's uh, the Bourne novels. Nobody knows everything. And this was a guy who had access to billions of dollars in uh, Intel collection assets, and we still didn't know everything that was going on. So, uh, no, no private organization is going to be able to tap all of this stuff and have it all in one place and just know everything. It, it just doesn't happen that way. So in my thrillers, I, I'm closer to reality, and I think Vince Flynn is, uh, was pretty good at getting that, too. There are, there are unknowns. Yep. And even Tom Clancy had certain unknowns and that his stories thrived on that. Yeah. Yep. 
you you just you just mentioned that you also have written you said 90 sci-fi novels something like that yeah can you just uh share with you know what are they all one series are they all a bunch of different topics or i have about 20 different series as i try different things and different characters in different universes so uh, I've, uh, I, I do like military sci-fi, but all my military sci-fi still have the character interaction, like the small teams and how they make fun of each other, like, uh, you know, my experience in the Marine Corps. I put that right. in all my books. Uh, so space opera, because I grew up, uh, I'm a child of the 60s. I grew up watching Star Trek, the new crazy series, Wagon Train to the Stars, right, when it came out. And with each new episode, because my brother was eight years older than me. And he got the TV on Thursday night or whenever Star Trek came on, and we watched new episode every week. And there was like 24 episodes a year, so every other week you'd be getting a new episode. <clears throat> uh, so that had a big impact on me, especially as I got older and went back and watched them again. And I'm, if you paint them on the landscape of the 60s civil rights era and the movements and the things going on in the 60s, you see how impactful Gene Roddenberry was in getting those stories where he hid a social message mm. <clears throat> behind uh, the, the, the moonshot and things. Right, right. <laughs> yep. So that, uh, that was uh, extremely influential. DC Fontana is one of the best storytellers in putting together a short story, picking one topic and wrapping everything around it. So uh, Andre Norton as well, uh, the, the good authors from the 60s, Heinlein, all, all influences on, on what I've done with my science fiction. You mentioned cool. science fiction. Have you come across or read the three body problem? It's uh, it's pretty wild that it's set in, in China during the cultural revolution. And so it's really unique to see and read sci-fi from a Chinese perspective and thinking about like communism and the generational uh, and the psychology of that, that time period. And he's writing a sci-fi story during uh, the cultural revolution. And it's just incredible. And they're turning it into a, into a movie soon. And it, it becomes this big space opera. And it's just really interesting how different cultural backgrounds. This is not a uh, three body problem. Okay. Yeah. Three body problem. Yeah. It's a long one. Uh, there's three, three books in the series, but uh, it's worth okay. it. If you're into sci-fi. Okay. That's like James S.A. Corey. Those guys hit a home run with that series with uh, uh, hard science fiction, the science is, is almost all right. And, and how people would grow up and the interactions of humanity and how humanity would separate. Oh, they're Martians. They're, you know, they're, it, it, uh, uh, it strikes me as, as realistic as you could get with a, yeah. a science fiction series. And it was a thriller. Yeah. Right. I, I definitely find myself preferring hard science over, over the soft science. I don't know. I'm, I'm also like a biologist. So like whenever I get like a book that has, biology or biochemistry in it. I, I, I appreciate it, especially when they add the details. So you like the um, Martian then? Yeah, I love the Martian. Uh, yeah. I thought it was very good. Also yeah, self-published and then immediately, then quickly got, got It was, got it was a blogger, right? A science blogger who started making it. it. Yeah, I think his parents were both um, in, into science, but yeah. So you mentioned you like Star Wars or Star Trek. Do you have a favorite uh, science fiction book or a movie? Or even which season? Which season was your favorite? <laughs> what, season, which, what season of Star Trek? Oh, Star Trek. I, I have to say that the first season was pretty good. Second season was uh, was good as well and even more dynamic. And then the third season, they kind of fell off a little bit because they were starting to lose traction with readers or, or watchers. So uh, they, I, I think they got the hint that they weren't going to get renewed. So the mm. third season was a mishmash of, of stuff. Uh, Next Generation was was okay. I like Deep Space Nine because yes, I do like, I the, like the, the space station. I like uh, 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 Babylon Five, of course, uh, because the uh, Star Trek Voyager. I, I've I've done a complete watch of all the Star Treks, and I ran across Voyager was uh, a, a, like two months ago. I started that, and I couldn't get the subtitles off. And I was watching uh, the dialogue and the subtitles. I'm like, oh my god, this is so this is this isn't good. I don't want to bash bash him, but it just wasn't. And if you look at the subtitles on like Babylon Five and the quality of the dialogue, and I'm re and so I so I ditched that after like halfway through the second season, and and watching uh, Battlestar Galactica, the new the new version, okay. rewatch of course. 
And and if you put on subtitles of Battlestar Galactica, that is intellectual. It is intelligent dialogue. It is it is challenging. It makes you think. And then you go back to uh, Star Trek Voyager. Go to warp. Changing to warp. Oh, we're at warp speed. And I'm like, oh my god, somebody yeah. wrote this. You know, I watched. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm saying I've, I've watched a few of the Picard uh, series on Paramount Plus or CBS Plus. It's okay. It's not. I was I was expecting it to be better, but I was going to say right. I I watched the first season of uh, Discover Discovery. That's the newest Star Trek one, right? Discovery. And and I couldn't get into it. The character, the main character, Michael, was so unlikable. Yeah, and I, 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 I think I watched one episode and I stopped. And and Picard, I when they said uh, it took three episodes before he actually went to space, I'm like, yeah, he's out of here. So, uh, <laughs> so I haven't watched any episodes of that. And where we live, I live in the subarctic. I live outside Fairbanks, Alaska. Oh, okay. so I can't to ask you about this. I can't stream where we are. Oh. Really? Yeah. So uh, we have rewatch of Battlestar Galactic. I pulled out the DVDs because we have a massive DVD collection just because we can't stream because we don't have uh, high-speed internet here. We have a MiFi that we pay. Our internet, we pay about $750 a month for Whoa. internet. Wow. And, that's, and this is, thank God we've got a good, a good connection tonight, but uh, it's hit or miss always. Uh, wow. This is off a MiFi, so all of our, all of our uh, uh, internet is through a cell tower and the other ones are metered because uh, they're, they're limited and then they start slowing them down. This one is unlimited, but of course we're paying uh, what $15 a gig wow. on uh, anything we go over. We, we get a hundred gigs a month, but that's oh uh, comes out uh, between all this asset. Yeah. Don't access. stream. <laughs> don't <Yeah>. stream. <laughs> no, no way too that's much. A lot. The sun's coming out there though. Uh, hitting the summer soon. You're going to have more daylight. No. We're over 12 hours of daylight a day now, wow. and pretty soon it'll be 24 hours of daylight. 24. Wow. It's, it's just so, and, and that's like, I think, 73 days straight of uh, nothing of just darker than like a twilight. You can, you can golf at 2 a.m. Yeah. They do have a midnight <laughs> tournament wow. that uh, they, they play uh, late at night, <clears throat> and like, I'll take my dog for a walk. It'll be three in the morning. It'll be bright light out, and everybody's sleeping, so it's really, it's cool. Not the mosquitoes, so they don't sleep. Mm-hmm. What brought you out to Alaska? Just wanted to move out there? After, after I retired from the Marine Corps, my wife uh, went back to school. I got two master's degrees and a PhD, and then she got uh, uh, went on the big job search after she graduated and sat out the first year, couldn't find any position. And then the second year looked like she was going to sit out again, and this position came, came available up here at University of Alaska Fairbanks. So a one-year gig, here we are uh, nine years later, uh, and uh, hopefully I should get tenure next year. Cool. That's awesome. Nice. That's fun. You could write a good thriller set in, uh, in Alaska. Set in Alaska. I was thinking about that. <laughs> Has Rap ever gone to the Arctic in Alaska? I don't think he likes the cold. I don't think he likes the cold. Yeah. He's not like Scott, well, yeah. Scott Harvath. <laughs> no, he's yeah, not like Scott no, no bikini babes in the, in the yeah. ice cold. <clears throat> the... Uh, but I have a second thriller series called uh, uh, the Rick Bannock thrillers. And that was based more on my experiences. I call it a pseudo autobiography. <clears throat> and that one is a, a, a civilian contractor to the Intel community who finds a thing, gets put into a position and then has to hunt down a terrorist. Cause he's the only one that really believes he's there. So I say that, that guy's hiding in plain sight, but mm-hmm. Rick Bannock, and the second book in that one will take place with some elements in Alaska. All right. And I hope to get how that one keep, later how, later this year. How do you keep all of these storylines straight? Are you working on one at a time or like five at a time? Like I, I couldn't imagine doing that. I, I work on I work on no more than three at a time uh, in order to keep them straight. I have spreadsheets with uh with character listings and have various to, details have to have to, have to. Yep. <clears throat> and and i have a, a my beta reader team these guys are great there's That's there's good. four people they're all the all retired so they're all available and i'll shoot them a note and i'll say i, I can't remember this character's name and within a minute or two they'll say oh here it is and, and they'll shoot it back to me or i can't remember what the ship name was from three books ago 
I think it's three books ago, and and they'll know they'll, they'll know. Because wow. I have I have one series that's nineteen books long. I have another series that's nine books long. I, so I have a I have a lot of words out there, over five million words published, and uh, wow. and keeping track, it it helps. I think by the end of this year, I'll break down to just two series going at the same time. I have my uh, my best selling series right now is a judge, jury, and executioner, which is a space lawyer series. Wow. She's like uh, Marshall Dillon, right? Goes from town to town. Uh, and it's planet to planet with uh, handling legal issues based on the Federation, a, a loose conglomerate of planets. So that's uh, that series is going really well because I, after I retired from the Marine Corps, I went and got a law degree. So uh, as a lawyer, as well as uh, a Marine, I can put all those elements together and it's space. So you can kind of make up stuff that doesn't would normally fit or be boring. The law is boring, by the way. It's not uh, Perry Mason where you're in court. Hey, I, you did this. You said this. No, no, it's it's ninety nine percent sitting at your computer taking statements and digging through all kinds of researching, and it, it's 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 really boring and and mind numbing when you get down to to most of it. So I did away with all of that, and we made it to judge, jury, and executioner, where she has the full power. Once again, goes back to make them pay a little bit of vigilante justice kind of approach, even though she's an official. Wow, you have such a wide array of subject matter in the books. So, if you were to recommend someone pick up one of your books, where what direction would you point them in? And then also, what do you feel has been your your personal favorite or your personal accomplishment where you you know close that book or release that book and just said, "I, I love this one." Like, what, what do you feel like is your high water mark so far? <clears throat> I, I tell you what, I have a number of of books that. I'll go back and look at them and say, this is a, this is just a good book. And uh, one of those is Price of Freedom. It's a, a Bad Company book three. That one is one of the main characters dies and it's a buildup to it. And he's not even a main character in book two. I forgot to put him in for the whole book. I had to go back and add him to a couple scenes because uh, I kept forgetting about this one character. I'm, like, I'm just going to kill him off so I don't forget him anymore. Well, that didn't go over well. The fans really didn't like that. They almost rebelled. <laughs> But the book was so good because it's the price. Every time you go into battle, you can't always have the good guys come out of a battle unscathed. And it's not like, oh, hey, grazy me. I'm bleeding a little bit. No, no. People get killed. It's, it's, it's the fight, whether you want them to or not. And uh, an, another book was uh, a Fratricide, a book about an AI that went rogue. Uh, and that was uh, uh, Rivka, Judge, Jury, and Executioner, book six. That book... We submitted it for the Dragon Award, and in order to do that, because people would read it out of the blue and not read the first five books, I had to go back and rewrite it to make it a standalone. Mm. Still, it's book six in the series, and I went through it. Now, it was I was happy to rewrite it because it was it read so well. I'm like, I, this is amazing. I'm uh, I, I I'm I'm not this good, and I liked it. I liked it so uh, nice. fratricide, and then I tell you, I I like my thriller series. I really do. The Operator. Yeah, I just clean that up today. And the replacement. They just they went they went really well. And out of all of them, I think the best book I ever wrote was uh People Raged and the Sky Was on Fire, which is Rick Bannock book one, and there is no book two because uh, it it's sold so poorly. Hmm. But I think that's my best book. And uh, you see it's really well reviewed if you pull it up, but uh I'll be damned. I couldn't sell that book to save my save my life. <laughs> Oh, we'll have to check it out. Yeah. But uh, in the meantime, we don't want to use up too much of your, your gigs there. But if you, before we let you go, can you let people know how they can find uh, Make Them Pay? And uh, if they can follow you, are you on social? You know, give us the deeds. Hop over to craigmartell.com. That's C-R-A-I-G-M-A-R-T-E-L-L-E.com. And all is there. All my series, all the uh, uh, books whatever's most recent and make them pay. I was talking to the webmaster today and he said uh, he was going to put that up there. So you should see that pop up today or tomorrow, but you can join my newsletter list. Uh, and I send out an email every Monday with uh, here's sales. Here's some stuff. I live in the subarctic, So my wife takes some great pictures of the Aurora right from our driveway. Right. I usually include a picture of the Aurora if it's a winter or the incredible foliage. This place turns into a jungle in the summer 
because everything wants to grow really fast. Wow. Cool. All right. Well, everyone out there in listener land, check out Make Them Pay and CraigMartell.com. And you will have plenty of hours of entertainment, it seems like, with a lot of reading to do and catch up on. You bet. You bet. And if you like audio, everything, everything's on audio. Too. Almost everything's on audio, too. So. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Great. Yeah, thank you very much, Mike and, and Chris, for having me on. And good conversation. You can never go wrong reading a Vince Flynn thriller. That's right. All right. Well, we hope you like that interview with Craig. Uh, very interesting guy. Very nice guy. Nice talking to him, uh, spending time with us. And yeah, we said it at the top, but we need to say it again. Uh, we need to thank our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and I think one of the new patrons. Uh, yeah, let's add on Mark. Mark, Mark H. Yeah, Mark. Mark is a special agent. Please subscribe, rate, and review us using your favorite podcasting platform. Uh, you can find us online at MitchRapPod.com. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. So it, it works out. It works out very nicely. That's great cool. to hear. Yeah, congrats on that, getting that off the ground. That's that's an impressive project. You do a lot. Yeah. Some people, I mean, we've talked to a few authors who are struggling to get through their first or second book, and it's years off their life and, you know, hours yeah. of, you know, agony, just got to get this right, got to edit this 18 times. Yeah. I'm querying for a publisher and getting these yeah. rejection letters, and you're kind of you're kind of self-made in, in that, in the writing world. That's I was 52 years old and a lawyer retired from two different gigs. There was no way I was going to get a rejection letter from some 22 year old lackey working at a big five publisher. <laughs> yeah. They passed it off to the interns. You said, screw them. I'm doing yeah. it myself. I, I can do awesome. this. I can do this better for me. And, and with access to good cover designers and stuff, there's absolutely no reason for people to put out anything that looks less than top notch. That's right. Cool. That's right. great. All right. Well, thanks uh, again. It was, it was yes, fun spending time with you. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, have you a good guys one. have a great day. Bye. You too.